0: Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. Lord, we just we thank you for what you're doing all over the world. We thank you, Lord, that you are restoring families, that you are restoring, that you are restoring fathers to sons and daughters, sons and daughters to fathers and to mothers. And Lord, we, just, we pray today that today would be a day of equipping the saints towards family and connection. Amen. Amen. I have, if, you, um, if you haven't been present for anything I've done in the last few weeks, um, maybe you wouldn't know this. But otherwise, I've been uh, speaking about fathering, fatherlessness, uh, establishing family out of the Malachi 4 verse that says, in the last days i'm going to send you elijah the prophet and he's going to restore the hearts of fathers to sons and sons to fathers and three nights ago i had a dream and in the dream i was teaching about the skills of communication in family kind of a strange dream but i had been praying for a few days like okay what am i supposed to do this week uh what am i supposed to teach on in the weekend and out of that dream i'm like i think i'm supposed to teach on communication so i'm going to do that so uh i want to talk about developing a noble family and most of the message will be around communication. Um, One of the main goals of of a healthy family is to create a safe place for each family member to thrive, and this requires honest, heartfelt communication and caring and loving environment. I want to give you four goals of communication. Four goals of communication. In other words, when we're communicating, what are we actually trying to accomplish? And number one is understanding. We are communicating to understand one another. Let me tell you what we are not communicating to do. We are not communicating to agree. We are not communicating to make the other person know I'm right. We're communicating so that you understand what it is I'm actually feeling, saying, and I understand what you're actually feeling, saying, and we understand each other. Number two, connection. When we communicate, we're communicating to build connection. If we do a good job communicating, when we leave the dialogue, we should feel more connected, not less connected. Help me understand part of the challenge in communication is, I feel like if we talk about it, we will be less connected. And I have the fear of disconnection, the fear of rejection, you might call it. So the goal of communication, good communication, is connection. Number three, hope. One of the goals of communication is hope. So we may not come to a conclusion, like we dialogue, like you tell me how, how you feel about something, I understand it, you, I tell you how I feel about it, we come to an understanding. But we may not come to a decision at that moment. But we need to leave with a sense of hope that this is going to work out. So sometimes, you know, other things have to happen for the circumstance to work out. But we leave there knowing that it will work out. We will have hope. And then the last one is redemption. We are communicating for redemption. Whatever it is that happens in our communication, it needs to lead. It needs to lead to Jesus died on the cross to redeem, not just to redeem us to salvation, but how many you know, to redeem the world. <laughs> so the idea is that whatever we talk about at the end of the day, when the conversation is over, it should feel redemptive. So, therefore, it's necessary to listen from the heart, not just the head. This is really a big deal to me, and I think for all of us. And I, I have to honestly say that this is a skill that I'm learning to develop. I'm 64 years old, so the chances that I'm going to be like a master at it probably are growing dimmer. <laughs> So, And there there are some people in this room that are just amazing at it. So I'm growing at it, but the goal is to listen from the heart. Guys, I'm mostly talking to you. Like, listen from the heart and not just the head. And that means somebody may not get the words exactly right. You know, I did a a 30-minute, no, 30-second spot. (laughs) Yeah, 30 minutes. I did a 30-second spot in the movie Unplanned. 30 seconds. They recorded three hours for 30 seconds. How many understand if you want to get if you want to get exactly right, you do it over and over and over and over again. So what are the chances that in a dialogue with some emotion behind it, that the words are going to be perfect? Probably not going to happen. So the goal is that I listen from the heart. I'm like, okay, you said you hate me, but maybe you're trying to just say I'm desperate. A friend of ours Um, uh, that we've known for years and years and years, is in a very desperate situation. And she began, and she's a really, really super righteous woman, really loves God. And, you know, a, a few months ago, she started texting me that she's effing done with this. She never uses that word. Probably not the right time to correct her on her speech. I think she's trying to say, this is how desperate I am And she uses a word that would get my attention that she is really desperate. Are are you following me? I showed it to Kathy and Kat's like, wow. And and she said, she must be desperate. We didn't think we should correct her cussing. We're like, she's trying to say, I'm desperate. Listen from the heart. This isn't the time to correct speech. Does that make sense? Um, The next one is share your feelings. We need to share our feelings and not just what we're thinking. This is kind of big. Kathy often's like, What do you how do you feel about that? I'm like, da-da-da-da-da. She's like, No, that's what you think. How do you feel about it? I don't know how I feel. Stop that. I don't want to think about my heart right now. <laughs> Sometimes we're so disconnected with how we feel that we're sharing words that are actually a reaction to a feeling we haven't actually put words to. So when someone says, How do you feel? I'm like, I only know what I think. And I, I know what my head but I don't know what my heart thinks and so sometimes when you know somebody does something to you uh maybe they say something and you feel rejected you start doing this and she's like how what do you feel about that I'm like this is what I think about them she's like well what do you feel oh I feel rejected that's why I'm rejecting them (laughs) I wouldn't have had all those words if I would have stopped long enough to know what I feel. But all I'm doing is, what do I think? Sometimes we're out of touch with ha- what's happening in our soul, and all we're in touch with is what's happening in our mind. And if we don't get in touch with what's happening in our soul, we give a whole bunch of words to something that really is not, it's not reality. Okay. Here are several ways to let people know that you have no value for the conversation you're having with them. <laughs> I thought you might want to write these down in case you're having a conversation with someone and you want them to know, I have no value for this conversation. So, cause I know none of you would do this on purpose, so I'm thinking if you want to tell the person, I have no value for you, write these down. Text during the conversation. Be late for the meeting you asked for. (laughs) Keep looking at your watch while you're talking. (laughs) See how quiet it gets? You should have seen first service light. They were like zombies by the time I got done with them. Take phone calls while you're talking. Suddenly change the subject. Interrupt them by pointing out something that's happening outside. Look around the room instead of keeping eye contact. Or looking at the TV. That's what I do. (laughs) Preach to the person. Have a one-way conversation. Oh, man, I did that so much to my kids. They're like, Dad's got a new message. Trying out on us. Show no compassion when the person's obviously hurting in the dialogue. Just... Keep it cerebral, you know. Just like brain to brain, it's like they're crying. Just act like nothing's happening. Talk over them while they're talking. Ask no questions to help clarify and understand the person's point. I mean, you know, when you're talk, when someone's talking, if you didn't understand it, it's appropriate to say, "I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? What did you mean by that?" It shows interest. It shows I'm trying to understand what you just said when i just sit there okay develop your <laughs> develop your response or defense while they're talking instead of listening from the heart ooh that was painful Don't engage your soul. Speak head to head. Show no emotion. I think I already said that one. Wrangle over words instead of listening from the heart. Remember what I just said, like, probably the words aren't going to be perfect. This isn't practice. This is a real dialogue. Correct someone's vocabulary when it's obvious what they're saying. Finish their sentences for them. Sitting like a zombie in silence while someone pours out their heart isn't listening, it's disengaged. Listening is not a passive exercise, but it's an invitation to be influenced, to understand, and to be present. What I'm getting at is listening isn't like you're doing right now. That's not listening. (laughs) Listening is leaning in, nodding your head, or something. Something that says, I just heard you. Yeah, that's good. Uh huh. Yeah, good. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Something that says I'm engaged. while well, they're talking. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that something that's deeply moving to you, and they're like, Oh, to an external processor drives me crazy. I have no idea what they're saying. Like, I don't know what that says, but it says to me like, I don't know. Does it say I don't care? Does it say I'm in a trance? Does it say? What does it say? Okay, ways we communicate. Now here's a challenge. When we were uh, obviously Dad and I, and uh, one other guy was, our, we were marriage counselors when I first came here, the first three years. So I learned a lot of this by interacting with them. And one of the things I learned is that words are not the only way we communicate. So the number one way we communicate, obviously, is words. But I don't think that words are even the way that we that we I, even though we use words, I'm not sure they're the most powerful way we communicate. So I, I, I want to just give you a few more ideas. Like, we communicate with our eyes. Like, looking away, distracted, says shame. Have you ever had anyone talk to you and they just look down? Or have you ever been talking to your teenagers and they're like... Or how about when you talk to someone and, they, and, they, and, they, and they're smiling... Like, I'm not sure what that means. They're telling you something terrible, and they're like, I just hate you, you know? Or you're talking to them like, I'm having a real problem with you, and they're like, what is that? I just want to slap the crap right out of them right there. Just go ahead and turn the other cheek, because I'll hit it the other one, too, for you. So we communicate with our tone of voice. I remember a couple came in, and this happened so many times, but I remember this one couple, and she's like, you never tell me you love me. He says, I tell you every morning I love you. I'm like, I think I understand why she's not hearing the love. Like tone of voice matters, right? Um, You communicate with your time. Like rushing someone communi- uh, communicates a lack of value. I remember my stepfather, my second stepfather, we had to ask for permission from him to do anything. And so he kind of like was like the king and he would sit in his chair and I w- you'd have to kind of wait till he looked up from his paper because if you interrupted him, he would be upset. And then when you finally did get audience, he would go like this, like hurry up. And so you're always like, you know, you're already a little nervous because you're talking to the king. And then, and he doesn't really like you. And so you're like, can I go to to Johnny's house? And he'd be going like this. In other words, whatever you say, just say it quick because you're bothering me. You're taking up my time. I have no value for you. Listen, listen, if you're going to interrupt me, just do it quick. It communicates a lack of value for you. Sometimes I do it to Kathy and she starts talking. I'm like, (laughs) then she communicates back. Number five, we communicate with our body. Crossed arms, hands on our waist, pointed finger, clenched fist, the way we stand. If, you know, if you're talking to someone and they're and, you know, engaged and, and, they're, and their feet are turned away from you, it means they want out of the conversation. Or you're talking to them and I mean, oftentimes we do something with our arms. But sometimes we have to be careful because our, where we put our hands has a lot to do with you know, I said I loved you. <laughs> well, I said I loved you. It says two different things, doesn't it? Okay. Um, number six, uh, we communicate with where we spend our money. The old saying, "Put your money where your mouth is." It communicates. Like where you spend your money, makes a big statement about what you value. Now, I understand. You know, when we were uh, when our kids were growing up, we didn't have any extra money, so I, I understand that that. This is about a season and a time. But um, sometimes people will spend $5 on a cup of coffee twice a day, and then they don't want to spend $0.05 on something that, in my mind, is more valuable. We went yesterday to uh, the jewelry store because Bethel School of Ministry, what what they did for my 20th anniversary is they bought me a, a, a special ring to have made with BSSM on it. Really beautiful so we've been kind of working with the jeweler to make the ring. And so we went in yesterday to get the ring. And, and Kathy went with me. And I was kind of all excited. And they were showing us the, some of the, the mock-ups and stuff. It's kind of cool. And while we were in there, I'm like, we should buy you some jewelry. She's like, no, I don't want anything. Anyway, we walked out of there with a $1,000 worth of jewelry, which we just never do. You know, it's not... It's, and obviously, it's a different season for us. But I just felt like, I just want to do something nice for you. This, just sometimes... We just have to splurge on the person a little bit. It just says, "I love you." Come on, you my baby. Just listen. so she—I don't know—she got three, what do you call it, necklaces and those things you wear on your wrist, and it was—it was fun. It was fun. I love it. We communicate. <gasps> it's my baby right there. We communicate... Okay, here we go. Let's see, should we do this one streaming? Uh, we, do, we communicate with the way we dress. Communicates a message to our spouses. Now, okay, I understand. I'm not saying we should, like, wear a dress and a tux. Uh, the woman, the dress, and the man, a tux. <laughs> Sorry for our audience. We're in California, you have to be... Just, I'm just being a little funny, come on, I'm just being a little funny. I'm not saying we have to dress up every day. I'm simply saying, okay, well, ladies, it's just not cool for you to be in a robe like five days a week when your husband comes home. It's just not good. Like, it just sends a very loud message. Like, it, 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 it's, really, it's really challenging to me when, you know, we will sit in front of the mirror for 45 minutes for a stranger, but we won't take 15 minutes for our spouses. Not a good plan, and, and men? you ain't getting off. (laughs) You being a slug and a pig every day, bad plan. Like, I understand that, you know, we're working and we got a farm, we got horses, and I understand we can't dress up every day, but never showing honor to our wives by taking them out, dressing up a little bit. You know, it just, it just speaks, just says a loud, it just sends a loud message of communication. Um, Number eight, with your facial expression. We communicate with facial expressions: frowning, smiling at the wrong time, looking bored, mad, or sad. And I remember this is probably 15 years ago. I, I was in a meeting with, this, with uh, one of my staff, and it didn't go so well. And they were like telling me, you know, I, I thought I thought you were mad at you, me, and I don't know why you're always mad at me. And so I came home, and I was telling Kathy, I just had this conversation with so and so, and they said they think I'm always mad at them. So she goes, Well, that's your face. You know this conversation? That's your face. I'm like, what's wrong with my face? Go look at your face. What's wrong with my face? She said, "When you're in neutral, you you look you look intense. You just your eyebrows are like that and you're like You know, and then you're their boss, so they're like walking in their boss's office with the you know, the look like the Then you're like you get your eyes like you're looking in their soul. It, just, it drives people crazy. You look intense. I said, I do? She goes, yeah, you should, like, smile, like, crack a smile when they come in, you know, like, so uh, now I'm so super conscious, like, you know, I'm correcting someone, I'm like, you know, what you got to do is just, need to come to work on time, okay? Sometimes you got to be self-aware of your face, you know, this is the only face I got, Abraham Lincoln, (laughs) <laughs> I'm getting better. I'm really a happy guy. Everybody, I'm a happy guy. I just look intense. I talk intense. I'm just intense. I don't know what to say. I'm not unhappy. And then I, then I'm really direct. So between intense, direct, and then those whatever she said, I do, it just scares the crap out of people. I'm like I'm not trying to scare anyone. But you know Abraham Lincoln, he interviewed this guy. You know it's, I you know the, um, it's in the book um, Rivals. I forget what it's called. Anyway, team of rivals, and he was interviewing this guy for a very important position, and the guy was way overqualified, and it was a great interview, and, uh, and there was two other people interviewing with uh, Abraham, this guy, and so when he got done, the one guy, the both other guys said, Damn, man, he's a perfect fit, and Abraham said, I don't like his face. And the guy goes, you don't like his face? What do you mean you don't like his face? You're not going to hire him because you don't like his face? He goes, I don't like his face. I said, well, that was the face that was given to him. And he said this, the man's 40 years old, and if he can't take care of his face at 40, I don't want him on my team. He was talking about managing his expressions. Abraham, like, I don't like his face. He's not self-aware. He doesn't manage his facial expressions. In an interview, he can't be on my team. Now, that's a little extreme, but my point is, is that it's important that we manage ourselves, that when we're communicating, if we're happy, like, we should smile. (laughs) Okay, anyway. Okay, a few things. What does the Bible say about communication? He says, a fool, Proverbs 18.2, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. How many of you know a dialogue is where we interact to come to an understanding in the four things we talked about? But a discussion is where I make my point and you listen. Help me understand that a fool is a man or a woman. That all they want to do is reveal their own mind and have no value for what you think about it. And Proverbs says, that's a fool. A fool does that. Um, Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If somebody's mad at you, if they're angry at you, or you're angry with them, let's talk about you first. You're, they're angry with you. This is not a time to make your point. Are they listening? Are you listening when you're angry? Okay, what you're doing right now, I don't like this. You're communicating. Boredom. Disagreement. Those eyebrows, change those. When Someone is angry, it's not the time to make a point, it's time to de-escalate them, because when you're angry, you are not having a dialogue, you're only having a discussion. Discussions never come to hope, redemption, understanding, and connection. Are you following me? So when someone's mad at you, it's the time to de-escalate them. I remember we, when we were in the auto parts store and auto repair shop, obviously you have mad customers, it happens all the time. It's just, it's just part of serving customers. And I remember customers would come to the counter like in the auto parts store and they'd be like, I bought these parts and they don't fit and this thing broke and, they, and they'd be screaming at us. And I always would start like, excuse me, sir. First of all, let me just say this. You don't, have to, you don't have to yell at us. Um, you're our customer, and we're going to make sure that you're well taken care of. My goal when you leave this place is that you are a happy customer. Now, what is it you need? How many of you know what I just did? I just reassured them that they don't have to manipulate us through anger to get what they want. Are you with me? <clears throat> Proverbs 25 Twenty-eight says, like a city that is broken down and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Um, parents, yelling at your children makes you appear and not a parent. Let me say it again. Yelling at your child makes you appear. You're a peer. P-E-E-R. You're a peer and not a parent. Well, my child doesn't listen till I yell. You taught him that. You taught him that because you don't take action until you yell. It goes like this, Johnny, leave that alone. Johnny, Johnny, leave that alone. Johnny, I said, leave that alone now or you're gonna get a spanking. what did you just tell Johnny? You just taught Johnny, don't respond until I'm angry. Now Johnny learns that he has to respond, he has to do what angry people tell him to do not what people who have authority tell him to do. What's gonna happen when his teacher has a different way of dealing with people that the teacher knows who he or she is and does not give your child a third chance? Here's how it should go. Johnny, I need you to leave that alone. Okay, Johnny, go up to the room and I'll deal with you later. Go now. I don't have to raise my voice because I'm not in charge because I'm mad. I'm in charge because I'm mom or I'm dad. I teach my children when I'm gonna act, they learn it well. Telling your teenager that he or she is not motivated doesn't motivate them. It pushes them deeper into, into there's something wrong with me mode. How many of you have ever not been motivated? Our dog, I love, I have a love-hate relationship with our dog. When it's raining and he goes outside to go to the bathroom and he comes back in the house, he spreads mud everywhere. Our house has been a mud bowl for a week. I said Saturday, I'm going to clean the mud bowl and instead I binged on Blue Bloods. I binged on Blue Bloods. I looked around, I'm like, frick, this house is a mess. I'm just gonna watch Blue Bloods. You know why I did that? You know why? I didn't feel like cleaning the house. Finally, at 10 o'clock, I got so upset with myself, like, get off the couch and clean this mud bowl. And so I cleaned. But how many of you have ever been unmotivated? Does someone saying, you're not motivated, motivate you? No, it just makes me feel worse that I'm not motivated. S- try to learn what inspires your children, but pointing out that they're not motivated only makes me feel worse about not being motivated. Communication. Okay, I want to talk for a few minutes about confrontation. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, if you're taking notes, this is the story Jesus said, if you go to the altar to present your gift, your offering, and you remember that someone has something against you, leave your, go- your gift, go work it out with your offended person, and then come back and give your offering. What's the point that Jesus is making there? That relationship's more important than worship. Did you notice he didn't say, if you know that your brother's offended with you, pray about it. Go tell five people go tell five people who will take your side. Uh-huh, that, that laughter? That's nervous laughter. <laughs> Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20 says, if your brother sins against you, go to him and point out his fault. Okay, here's the, here's the point I'm trying to make. Matthew 5 says, if you know your brother has something against you, go work it out. Matthew 18 says, if you have something against them, Go work it out. Are you with me? We we, we spiritualize our dysfunction. We're like, I don't have a problem. I'm frustrated. No, no, it looks like a duck. It walks like a duck. It quacks like a duck. It's hatred. It's offense. It's bitterness. And then we're like, I just don't want to offend them. No, no, you don't want to offend you. Delayed confrontation doesn't work like 10 years, what happens? You know, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. It says, be angry but don't sin, but don't let the sun go down in your anger. What's that mean? It means don't be angry for more than one day, because how many you know when anger germinates, it turns into all kinds of terrible things. See, part of the reason people don't confront is because they're afraid of rejection, and so they don't confront, and they're like, Joe does something wrong, and they go, ah, Joe, he's an idiot, you know? And then Joe does it again, and they're like, he's an idiot. And finally Joe does it again, they're like, he's an idiot, now I'm going to talk to him. Now what happens is, is my, my fear, I'm sorry, my anger overcomes my fear, and now I'm going to talk to you. How many of you know we are not going to have dialogue? We are going to have a discussion, and the goal of my discussion is to, for justice, for you to know that what you did was wrong to me. Then I go, confrontation never works for me. It doesn't work because you delayed confrontation until your anger overcame your fear and now your goal is not redemptive. When I'm talking about confrontation, I'm not talking about yelling or screaming. I'm talking about getting to the root Of why somebody's behavior, attitude, whatever, actions, words, are somehow negative in your your environment. Confrontation should always start with the question, like, what were you thinking? I don't mean, what were you thinking? Like, my face and everything says, adds another word to it, right? What are you thinking? What's the word I'm adding to this? Stupid. No, I'm thinking, what were you thinking? When you ran across the stage totally naked, What were you thinking? I was reading Jeremiah and the Lord overcame him and he ripped all his clothes off. Oh, okay. Well, we're into New Testament prophecy. So, clothe yourself with righteousness. So, when I'm talking about confrontation, I'm simply saying, ask the question, what were you thinking? Hey, when you said you hated me, what were you thinking? I was just really frustrated. I was having a bad day, and, you know, the kids were driving me crazy, and I called you, and you, you told me you were in a meeting, and you couldn't. Oh, so, okay, I understand. And now I'm, I understand your frustration. I'm so sorry. I've been there, too. What am I doing? I'm speaking with empathy. Listen, I am, I've been there. I know that sometimes I've called you, and I really need an answer from you, and you're busy, and, and then you tell me I, I can't call back for an hour. I, I know what that feels like. I'm so sorry. What are we doing? We're moving towards redemption, connection, understanding. Are you with me? So confrontation is really important in our lives. Um, a, a few rules for communicating with your children. Don't compare your children with one another. Why can't you be like your sister? Because I'm a boy father. A sin atoned for, a mistake, I'm sorry, a sin forgiven, a mistake atoned for can never be used in a conversation again in a negative way. If I leave my underwear on the floor a week ago and Kathy comes in, she's like, you left your underwear on the floor. You know what? It makes me feel really disrespectful, really disrespected when you, you just don't take the time to even pick your underwear up. I'm so sorry. And, and a, a month goes by and I do it again. She can't say, you always leave your underwear on the floor. You know why? She forgave all past offenses when she told me the last time. And by the way, I'm so sorry, should always be, be, you should always add, will you forgive me? Because will you forgive me brings closure. Forgiveness restores you. Remember, repentance restores you to the pinnacle. Once I've been forgiven, it is under the blood. It cannot be brought up again. If I do it 10 more times and you forgive me 10 times, you cannot use the other nine times in the current case. You can only say, you left your underwear on the floor. You can't say again. It really makes me feel disrespected. What I'm getting at is that we have to keep clean slates with each other. We are married to humans. I'm glad Kathy's taking some notes here. Um, uh, In communicating with our children, don't call children names, you klutz. Okay, I'm, I'm actually speaking to myself right now. I have little names for all of my grandkids. I think they're cute, but they're really not. When you're interacting with your children, never look shocked no matter what they tell you. I killed mother, I cut her up and put her in a box. Okay. How'd that make you feel? <laughs> I remember this young man running in my office. This was year two. He ran in my office, past security, past the admin, ran in my office, and, he, and I had somebody in there, and he goes, he runs in and starts yelling at me, and I'm like, can you, the other person, can you, I'm sorry, can you leave? And this kid sits down. I had been counseling him kind of on and off, and he's like, I just shot somebody. I think they're dead. And I'm like, oh inside I'm like, oh, you shot somebody, you have the gun with you, you're not going to shoot me, are you, you know, that's what I'm thinking, but I'm like, oh, well, sit down. Oh, 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 oh. Wow, okay, what, what, what were you thinking? And we talked through it, and, and actually, I, I said, he's, he's like, I don't know what to do, I said, well, it probably better if you turn yourself in than if you run, you know. I have a friend, you can turn, anyway, he ends up turning himself in. But my point is, is that when somebody's talking to you, when you're talking to your kids, no matter what they've done, don't look shocked. It'll send a message, you're not big enough to handle what just went down. The, uh, the next one about with kids. When you're talking to your kids about sex, don't look embarrassed. You'll send a big, old, loud message that says sex is shameful. And that's what a religious spirit does. So you're like, I don't know how to, I don't have to say penis. <laughs> so I say, you're thinger. <laughs> you just said, there's something unclean on you. We don't use these words because it's unclean. It's like a cuss word. We don't use these words. And I'm like, if soon as you do that, even though you use the right words, Your facial expression and your tone of voice says there's something wrong with this. There's something wrong with certain parts of your body. There's something wrong with certain acts. And how many of you know the world perverts sex. Religion shames it, but the kingdom celebrates it. So if you have a struggle, get in the mirror or in front of your spouse and, okay, we're gonna talk to Johnny about this. Just say it until you can say it without that thing that you know you have when you say it. Smile. I have five more minutes. I I wanna um, talk to you about one more thing. I wanna talk about uh, communication in blended families. We have lots and lots of blended families. The first God-ordained nation was founded on blended families. Jacob had two wives, and two mistresses and God said I'll bless that and it was in the old covenant I'm not saying (laughs) for the people who are watching by Bethel TV I'm not saying like get divorced and get married and have a I'm simply saying you can't do anything God can't redeem and so if you, you listen if you're thinking about doing that that's dumb don't do it It will cost you and your children so much pain. If you're already there, you are not too far from redemption. So I I want to give just a few tips on blended families having obviously grown up in a blended family. Children must have permission from their biological parents to have a relationship with their ex-husband, ex-wife, new significant other. In other words, if I am divorced and remarried and my ex-wife is divorced and she has a significant other, When my son or daughter goes to her house, they need to have permission from me to have a relationship with their significant other. Otherwise, what happens is, is that in the name of justice, your kids will feel obligated to not like them for your sake, and it will kill them. You're like, well, I don't really like the guy. I understand that, but your child is not your attorney. Next one using your spouse to carry a negative message to your ex-spouse will destroy them they are your children and that is their father their mother now if there i understand that there's extra there's lots of circumstances like the person's dangerous child molester there's a lot of things so if you can just take this as a general statement like sharing a negative story about your ex-spouse is a bad plan your children in normal circumstances need to be able to love that parent, even though they are not a good marriage partner. The next one, your children must have permission to love your ex-spouse from you, no matter how much you despise them. So you have a problem with your ex-wife, your ex-husband, it's like they need permission to love them. By the way, we've been through all of this. Like we need to be the defender of love. (laughs) The next one is you must respect and not try to replace the relationships your stepchildren have with their biological parents. This is a really big deal. If their parents are there, they, have a, they their parents are in their life. Ex ex wife. Now I remarry. Now kids maybe are living with me part time, full time. They ex new wife, new wife needs to have needs to have permission. Like my kids need to have permission to have a relationship with her from their ex mom and dad oh I I know I was actually making another point the stepmom needs to not try to replace mom the stepfather needs not it's not a competition listen in those competitions I can tell you who loses it's always the children so I am not in a competition with biological mom, like, you're going to love me more because we're going to do more things for you. And we take you to Disneyland. Oh, well, we take you to Disney World. Well, we take you. I've seen the competition. It, it ends up with kids don't get disciplined. We don't want to just put them at our house. We want them to have the, have the tough experience at your house because we're competing for who they be connected to. And I'm telling you, that kills the kids. It's a bad plan. And um, I, have, I have two more Second spouses need to understand the pressure parents feel to manage their biological children into another relationship with a new mom. I'm simply saying this, is that if I'm, married, I'm remarried and I have these are my biological children, this, this new spouse needs to understand the pressure I feel to stay connected to my kids. And my kids are going to often act up to see who I will choose. This is big. I know it well because I was one of those kids. I will be bad to see who you will come to the rescue to. So this new spouse needs to understand there's a dynamic going on here that isn't just about correcting bad behavior. It's about do you still love me even though you married her? And the last one is When a person is divorced for a long time, a son or daughter will often assume the missing parent's role. Uh, My mother was uh, divorced when I was 13, and she remarried again when I was almost 16. So we were three years uh, without without a man in the house. And nobody anointed me man in the house, but because I had two younger siblings and my mother worked full-time, I took on the role of man of the house. I did things that fathers do. I corrected the other two younger children. I fix things around the house. I had responsibilities. My mother would leave me a list that would normally be left for a man. Now what happened when my mother remarried is now we had two men in the house. Of course, my new father was not sensitive to that, but I want to say that oftentimes, and I've done it over and over in marriage counseling blended families, I've had to tell the new husband, hey, your, your, wife, your new wife has been without a husband for seven years and she has a 16-year-old son. Guess who's been the man in the house for 16 years? You have to be sensitive to, this boy just got replaced. And if you're not sensitive to that, you're going to create all kinds of communication gaps. And this boy is not going to like you, not because he doesn't like you, but because you stole his job. These are all dynamics that need to happen in a blended family. I really feel like we're supposed to just pray for our families right now. And uh, I was uh, sharing with Eric and Candace. We were in a, a prayer meeting, I don't know, I guess it was about a week ago. And we were just praying for the family weekend. And all of a sudden, I just had this... I mean, obvious thought, but it was, it, I, I didn't think it up. It was, I felt the Holy Spirit say, this is a season for family reconciliation. You're talking about fatherhood, but you forgot the rest of Malachi 4. I'm going to restore fathers and sons, mothers and children. And I feel like this is a season, like this is what we're talking about right now. So I'd like everybody to stand. How many of you have some communication things to work on? Yeah, okay, I preached them now. I got to my wife, she's taking notes. She's like, hey, hey, hey. You didn't talk to me like that. So I want to just pray right now for our families. How many of you have, well, I won't ask you that. I'm just going to pray for you. I want to pray for just the reconciliation of our families, but more than reconciliation, I want our families to thrive. I want to do, I want to do, I want to do jealous evangelism. That's what they did in the Old Testament. God said, I'm going to so bless you that the other nations will be jealous and they'll want me. I want our families to be so amazing. You're watching by Bethel TV. I want your family to be so amazing. People like, give me that drug. I want to buy that drug. I don't care what it costs. You know, it's not a drug. It's Jesus. Yeah, whatever. I'll take him, then. And I just want to pray for you right now. Lord, I just release right now a new anointing for a new season. A new anointing for a new season. And that anointing would create connection. That anointing would create redemption. That anointing would would create sons and daughters and fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and mothers and sons. It It would create new connections, prodigals would come home, and I'm not just talking about prodigal sons, I'm talking about prodigal fathers. And how about this, prodigal mothers? prodigal daughters, Lord, we just pray that all the prodigals would come home, and this, and this season, this weekend, this family weekend, would mark the beginning of a new emphasis on the redemption of family, and we would be the happiest families on earth. That we'd be the happiest families on earth. And Lord, I pray that every person in this room, that they would go home and clean up their messes. I just want, I say this by the Spirit, I just, I didn't pray it in any other uh, service yet, but I feel like some of you have messes and you didn't have skills, but how many know now you're responsible for what you know? And when I was sharing, I know, I could feel at different points the Holy Spirit was going out like, that's you, you do that, you need to go clean that up. And how many know the best thing to do is go clean it up. So, Lord, we pray for courage, grace, and anointing to clean up our relationships with other people. In Jesus' name, everybody said, I receive that for myself. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog, or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvellton.com. Have an awesome day.